Somewhere in the deep south, there are people who are suffering right now from heat and exhaustion, and we're not, so this is, it's great to be here. Um, we are uh, continuing a series today called, it's called Over the Top, and I'm excited to, to continue talking this conversation about living lives that are over the top, that, that are at, some, at points in time dramatic in nature and intense, uh, extreme even. Uh, because of our faith. And, and I wanted to start with a story from one of my favorite guys that I've been following the last couple of years. His name is Bob Goff. And um, he's written a couple books called Love Does, Everybody Always. Uh, I can't remember his latest one. But there's a story in one of his books about this, this guy, this guy, this witch doctor in Uganda named Kavi. But it goes, uh, let me back up a little bit. Bob is this really interesting, he's a lawyer. Uh, he's started nonprofits, but he's not your typical lawyer. Like if you saw him, you'd be like, "Are you sure you're a lawyer?" Because he seemed a little spastic and crazy. And, and he is, but he, um, he has like he does like pranks with his friends, and he literally became the cons. I think it's called the consulate of Uganda. So the American, like an American ambassador, like Uganda elected him as consulate, and he thought it was his friend pranking him. So he didn't think it was real until he showed up to this ceremony and they like swear him in as consulate of Uganda, like this official title. And, and, and he like, took the job as, as a lawyer. He like represents uh, different issues in Uganda and, and, and like works on the relationship between, you know, I'm gonna stop talking because I actually don't know what that, what he does with that role. But it's very important and he got involved in Uganda. And one of the things that he, discovered when he got involved was in Uganda that there's there's witch doctors there that had a lot of control. Like in the cities, the government was in control, but in the rural areas, it was really the witch doctors that were in control. And the witch doctors were doing some pretty heinous stuff, including um, child sacrifice. And he heard about that. And he's like, well, we got to do something. If I'm going to be involved in the legal system in this country, let's Let's do something. What have you guys done? And he came to realize that that the, these witch doctors hold so much power that nobody would go up against them. That even though this human child sacrifice was like happening on the regular, there had never been in Ugandan history one prosecution of a witch doctor. And Bob was like, we need to take this on. So he went and he started talking to judges in Uganda. Would you try a case for a witch doctor? And he got a lot of doors slammed in his face. Like, no, we won't do that. And finally, he found one judge that would do it. And, and so he's like, okay, when the time comes, like, when, we can, when we can arrest a witch doctor for this, I want you to try the case. Time goes on. And all of a sudden, one day, he gets a phone call that there had been a, an abduction of a kid, a boy, a young boy, and there was an attempt on his life to, to sacrifice his life, but he lived. And so now they have a witness. And so Bob flew to Uganda quick, found that, that judge, found the boy, um, and, and said, would you be willing, you know, talk to the boy, would you be willing to take on the witch doctor? And he was very reluctant. He was like six years old at the time. This is such a cool David and Goliath story. Um, and he's like, it, finally the boy's like, no, I'll do it. I will testify against the witch doctor. So they held the, 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 um, the court or the trial. It's like in this village in Uganda. And, and there's these crazy stories in this book. I won't go into all the details, but there's one point in time where they're videotaping this because they want to document it because they want to set a precedent with this, right? And the, the witch doctor, like, he's like, 
Bob said, I've, I've seen a lot of bad things in my life, but when I looked into his eyes, it was like looking into pure evil. And he's like, there was actually one point in time where the witch doctor stared down the camera and the camera broke. He's like, that, that doesn't make sense. I don't, you know, we don't like that, but they, they keep going. Trial goes on. The young boy stands up, testifies against this, this man that did this to me. And the man goes, gets the tried, he gets found guilty, prosecuted, and thrown into jail for the first time in history and beyond it. And that right there is like this huge win of like kind of over the top people going for things, doing things brave, and we could stop there, but the story doesn't stop there. Bob go, go, flies home from Uganda, the high fives. He actually adopted that young boy because they had to get him out of there for safety reasons. And they, he comes home and, and, and he, um, he, start, he thinks that that's kind of the end of that chapter of the story, but it keeps going. He, he, he's, a, uh, he's a follower of Christ. And he couldn't, he couldn't stop thinking about Kabi, that's the name of this witch doctor. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, love your enemies. And he's like, well, if I have any enemy in life, it's Kabi. And how, how might I love him? If I'm supposed to love my enemies, what does that mean for Kabi? And he couldn't shake it. And like a year or two went on, and he's like, I, I have to go see Kabi. So he looks up where Kavi is in this prison, in the backwoods, backwaters of Uganda, flies back to Uganda, and goes and finds Kavi. And what he finds when he, he got to, uh, to the, the prison and gets to sit down with Kavi, Kavi walks in, again, this is this man, this evil, this embodiment of evil, walks in and he looks different. It turns out that in prison, Kavi had met Jesus. Somebody had shared the gospel with him, and this witch doctor, who, is, who, who had sacrificed humans before, came to Jesus, and he was totally changed and totally different. And Bob, at first glance, wasn't like, oh, that's awesome. He was like, no, he, he doesn't deserve that. He's like, no, like, like, you don't, like, like, and, and Kavi started crying and telling him his story and, and, and asking for forgiveness. And Bob was kind of like, at first, like, I don't know about this, kind of like arms, but, then, but he, then he's like, but what does it mean to love my neighbor? And so he reaches, you know, like, he reaches across the table and they build a relationship, a friendship. Fast forward a couple more. And so at any time that, that Bob came to Uganda, he'd go and visit Kavi in his prison. And one of the times, Kavi said, listen, I, I've talked to the, the, the prison guards. And if, if you're willing to help me, they'll let us run a church service at the prison. And, and Bob's like, wait, at first Bob's like, yeah, but what, can we do that? Like, I don't know, like, this is this right? And he's like, but no, this is what it means to love my enemy. So he, he's like, all right, Kavi, you and me. And, and, and they, so they do like a, a, a service and Kavi gets up, and Bob speaks for a little bit, and then Kavi gets up and shares his story, and then shares in a very rudimentary fashion how they too can follow Jesus, and like a, like a whole bunch of people in that prison that day accept Christ and start following Jesus. And, the, and that's the, this, this story, this, this crazy story of, of over-the-top love that God has for you. And, and maybe this isn't even sitting well with you. Like, I'm not sure what I think about that. I don't think a guy like that deserves that. And the answer is he doesn't. But God's grace for us is so over-the-top 
He loves not just the good people. He doesn't love the people going to church. He loves everybody. And his grace is so powerful and so, so, so magnificent, it can reach to the lowest of low. And that story, it's just a story of God's over-the-top love and how God's over-the-top love sometimes causes us to do things that are like, are you sure about this? Is that crazy? Like, like who does that? Like Bob, like our friend Bob. And that's what this series is about. It's, it's about moving us towards radical faith. Go ahead and put that slide up that, that you know, like over the top equals radical faith. And we, we did this the first week. We like, we actually took out the word radical because actually that's a redundancy right there. Faith is by its nature radical. Like if you're, if you have faith in Christ, it means you want to be like Christ, which means going to be like Christ, sometimes you're going to do things that are completely over the top that people don't understand. Let's, let's go ahead and put the uh, over the top definition. It refers to something that is extreme or dramatic in nature. It implies that someone is doing something beyond the usual limits or boundaries. And so I ask you, especially if you're a person of faith, if you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, when's the last time that your faith led you to doing something over the top. Something that was extreme or dramatic in nature. Not for the sake of extreme or dramatic. That, that's called being dramatic. That, I'm, I'm not saying that. But what is, when's the last time that you were praying about something and you felt in your spirit like, I, I need to go and do something that, that, that would be out of, that would be something beyond the usual limits or boundaries. Because here's what we found like in the, in the New Testament. When you open up the New Testament, what we see is we see Jesus. And we see it's all about Jesus. And there was just something about Jesus that brought radical out of people. That, that brought kind of crazy out of people. That bought, brought over-the-top actions out of people. They, they would cry from afar like, Lord, Son of God, have mercy on me. They, like, they, would, they would throw away all social you know, faux pas and taboos and be like, no, I just got to get to him. There's just something about Jesus that gets in our blood. And if, if we are Jesus followers, the same should be said about us. Maybe not all the time, but every once in a while. People of faith, if you're a person who's grown up in church, been going to church for more than 10 years, when's the last time you did something that was over the top? That your faith caused you to, to push you towards something the people are like, wait, what are you doing? Who does that? Because it's going to happen. That's what this series is all about. I mean, my goal is pretty simple. I just, I'm trying to get some of this in our blood. I'm just trying to get us, if, if, if we come away from this, each doing one, just even one thing. I said that the first week. Imagine if like every Christian, every person who says they're a Christian, out of love for Christ in this country, did just one thing over the top, I think we'd be living in a different place over almost overnight. People would be like, what is going on? People are, you know, like the, the, the hungry would be fed, the slaves would be free, the, the people, like people would love their bosses. It'd be crazy, you know, if we all just did that. And, and, and here's what I want to talk about today. What's at stake if we don't? So, 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 so what if you, as we as Christians, just kind of go through the motions? We love Jesus. Yes, we do. I love Jesus. How about you? We like sing the songs. We 
come and, and do the thing, maybe give a little bit of money every once in a while? What, what if we just kind of stay the status quo? What's at stake? And, and I was thinking about it this week. What's at stake? And I was like, nothing. Absolutely nothing. And But what I mean by that is that nothing should terrify us. In the sense of, have you ever gone to a funeral that scared you? This is probably more for the adults in the room who've been to more funerals, but like, have you ever gone to a funeral that kind of gave you like, ooh, the shivers? Like, like, like that, that, that was a whole life that somebody lived. They lived a long life and I'm not sure what they did with it. You ever had that feeling? Where it's like, I, I want more. I like no, no, no disregard or I'm not to, to dishonor the, the dead, but like, I, like their life is just kind of staring at you. It's every funeral you go to is like, what did this person do? Who did this person affect? Who did they love? What was their thing? What were they passionate about? What did they accomplish? What did they spend themselves on? All of that is just staring you right in the face. And you've ever gone to one, you're like, gosh, I, I really I respect that person, but I want more. I want more than what they had and what they gave. I want more at the end of my life. I think that that's a good thing. I think that's a, an interesting thing for us to, to kind of come to grips with and that's what this that's what's at stake is mediocrity uh, going through the motions a life where we don't really do anything a life where we don't really try anything and we come to the end of it and go uh oh I wish I had done more I wish that there was more and here's the cool thing students in the room you guys this is what I love about you is this doesn't even seem possible to you like like you guys remember this when you were a teenager? It's like everybody, you're watching people and you're watching boring all around you, and you're like, that's not gonna be me. You see, you got an edge on us because you have fire in your belly. Like, no, I'm gonna live a life that's worth talking about. And then some of us are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, and, and we're like kind of looking at our lives and like, is it worth talking about? Am I doing it? And that's what's at stake. I mean, when I tell the Bob Goff story, isn't there something kind of magnetic about that? Isn't there something kind of like, like that maybe, maybe we're not on the front lines, but we want to be a part of stuff like that in our lives? Something that's worth talking about? Isn't it, like, isn't it stirring you? What is that? You know what I think it is? I think it's the fingerprints of God on your heart and mind that's calling us to something greater. That's calling us to grand, to call. That's calling us to something magnificent. And it's not just that we. It's not just like. It's not just entertaining. We, 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 you know, like like a lot of us will spend our lives. I find this so interesting because the American life is kind of bland right now, isn't it? And yet we go like think of what's blowing up in the movie theaters. It's not bland life. It's not. We're not going from our bland lives to watch a bland movie. Never. We are extremely entertained by, by, by the grand, by the hero, by the person putting it all out there. We're, we, we are drawn to the over the top. Why? Maybe you have never thought about it this way, but is it possible it's because the creator of the universe created us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, something great something magnificent. And what's at stake if we resist it? 
It's boring. I've talked to several people in preparation for this series, and I was like, you know, why does this matter? And every single person without fail is like, it'd be a boring life to get to the end of our lives and never do something over the top, never give generously, never do something worth the other people. Like, they did what? It would be a boring life. I want to save us from that. And not only that, I think, I think, honestly, I think Jesus came to save us from that. Yes, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Yes, Jesus came to, to, to lead us back to God. He was from God to lead us back to God, to tell us what a God was like. He's our Heavenly Father. He sees us as his children. All these beautiful things. But then you start to look at the interactions that Jesus had with people, and they were over the top. They were, they, like, like, think about, like, uh, where is this? Um, think about, he's talking with a woman at the well. And he's only, it's like, the, you can tell it's kind of like a short interaction. This is a Samaritan woman. It's just them at the well in the middle of the day. Maybe you're familiar with the story. And he's, he's just immediately, he's like, he just calls it out. He's like, yeah, you, you got, like, uh, he's like, go get your husband. And she's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you're right. You actually had five husbands. And the guy you're with right now, he's not your husband. He just calls it out. Who does that? He's like, no, we got to go. This is early. like, like I want you to do. I want you to do something. Like I want, I want to break. You see these interactions. There's interaction after interaction where Jesus, he just breaks the glass. He breaks the norm, the social norm. He like cuts through the, the people and, and then says, hey, no, no, no. I, I want to wake you up. I want, to, I want to bring you life. I want to invite you into something bigger. I want to shake you from your stupor. There's another guy. I talk about this guy all the time, the rich young ruler. I think it's because we're an evergreen. In a lot of places, in a lot of ways, we, the, many of us are in this place where, we're, where we've got some youth to us. We've got some wealth. We've got some options. We're good people, whatever. Like we could, and, and Jesus is talking with this guy. And you can tell he's getting nowhere, and he wants to, he's going to shake it up. He's like, no, I, I want to shake you out of your super. And the guy's like, I, I've done all this great stuff you're talking about. What else do I lack? I'm lacking something. Jesus says, you want to be perfect, go sell everything you have. Come follow me. Whew, that's over the top. That's challenging. I'm not sure what I would do if Jesus said that to me. And the man goes away sad. We never, know his, we never learn his name. You know? And there's another guy, Nicodemus, he's, he's this religious leader. He knows all the rules. He knows all the laws. He's, he's very spiritual. He spent his life trying to, to, to be a spiritual person. And, God, and, and Jesus sees that he's, he, that he's missing something. He's like, no, you, you think you know a lot. You need to be born again. You need to start from the beginning. You think you, like, you don't need a tweak. You need to start over. He's trying to shake us. This message is everywhere that Jesus goes. Not only does Jesus bring over the top out of people, he demands it from people to break them out of their stupor, to shake them out of, out of mediocrity, and to call them into something greater. And it's beautiful. It's challenging. So challenging that to the point where it's like, man, we've got to ask the question. If Jesus was here, what would he say to you and me? Uh, just go with me for a second on this. Imagine you had like a 30 or 40 minute coffee with Jesus. 
Like, wouldn't it be cool? Like, like, wouldn't it be cool to talk to Jesus? Like, the Jesus that we've read about, that, you, you know, we've heard people talk about. You get, actually get a chance to talk with them and, and, and you know, like, discuss, converse. And, and on, if on the surface, it might seem like that'd be really cool. And then I was thinking about this week, I also think it might be terrifying. Because <laughs> what might he ask us to do? Because he doesn't... He just doesn't do small talk. Jesus was never really good at small talk. You'd like that about him. You know? He just, yeah, 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 let's cut to it. You've had five husbands. You think you have it all together, but you, you need to be born again. No, 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 I know, I know you think that you're moral and, and you've got a lot going for you, but you need to just get rid of it all and rebuild. Seriously, don't, before I move on, what might Jesus challenge you to do if he was here? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't, you wouldn't come away from it saying, that was a nice coffee. That Jesus guy, he's super nice. I just don't see it going that way. Jesus said this in, in John 10, 10. Can you put that verse up? thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life. And not just life, but life to the full. He was committed to that with every single person he met. And he's committed to that for you and for me. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, and I think that Jesus breathed life into people. Like, like you see him doing that. You see him healing people. You see him him reaching out to, to people who are outcasts and bringing them in, and that, that that brought life to them. But one of the ways that he breathed life into people was he invited them into over the top, over and over again. No matter what it would cost, he would invite them in. And friends, I think he's doing the same today. His commitment to us is life. To be full of life. To be fully alive, vivacious. And that comes through radical faith. It comes through a faith that's sometimes over the top. And so for the rest of today, it's pretty simple. I just have three things. It's call this like a beginner's guide to a non-boring life. And this isn't like um, comprehensive. Uh, it's not like, you know, three points from John 10 or something like that. It's just as I was thinking about the Jesus of the New Testament, there's three things that just kind of popped to my brain as to things that you and I can do, things that you and I can pursue They'll make sure that'll ensure that we don't have a boring life. And my challenge for you today is to just pick one. Okay? So here's three. You're, you, we'll go through the three. My goal, if, if by the end of today you pick one of these and walk with it, it's great. You're going to love these, these words. This is, uh, I, the first one's devoted devotion. <laughs> the second one's honest honesty. And the third one's generous generosity. Generous generosity. Now, I th like, like, I know, I had different adjectives, in my defense, I had different adjectives, like brutal honesty and, you know, you know extreme devotion. Like, I, I had better words, but I just, 
I just want you to remember these. So I wanted to put them up there twice. Devoted devotion, honest honesty, generous generosity. I think that, that if you choose to pursue one of these or more, I think, what, I think it will lead to some over-the-top actions that might even lead to the type of life that God, that God is inviting us into. So starting with devoted devotion. It's so bad. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> devoted devotions, okay? We've been using this phrase, a wholehearted pursuit of Jesus. The word devotion, like, devotion is, is, is if you want to get an idea of what it means to be devoted to something, it's actually quite simple. Think about what you do first thing every morning. And let's take coffee out of this, okay? And like maybe some of us are devoted to coffee, but like coffee is to kickstart our brain to do what? I'll tell you what it is for me right now. I got this really cool opportunity this fall to go hunting for moose. But right now my hunting area is on fire. So the very first thing I do every morning is open my phone and check the news to see if there's any updates on that fire because it's affecting my moose hunt that I'm really looking forward to. That's devotion. The, the pastor's devotions every morning is opening up. It, it, I, this is honesty, honest, honesty is the second part. So here, yeah, like this is, but this is me. I, I was thinking about this like, what's the first thing I do in the morning the last couple weeks? I'm like, that's the first thing I do. What, it, maybe for you it's like hitting the gym. You know what I mean? Like, because I know a lot, I have a lot of friends that hit the gym. I, I read that that's good for you to do it every day. And, and it's like, hey, if you don't do it first thing in the morning, what? It doesn't get done. So I, I, a lot of friends who prioritize that, health is important to them. So they go to the gym first so that it gets done. That's devotion. That's not, that's not devotions like we're going to talk about, but that's, that, that is devotion. That means to be devoted. They're devoted to their health. You're devoted to your health. Watching, uh, what, if maybe for you, you open up your phone and you check your assets. You check the, the markets. You look at your accounts. Or for maybe you, you check your, your email. See if anything came through for work. See if there's anything that you need to respond to right away, to, to be on it. And again, all of these things, they're good things. I'm not, trying, I'm not casting stone at working hard at your job and being responsive and reliable and all of that. But, but, but let's be honest, if that's the first thing that you do, that, that's, that's devotion. You're devoted to what you do, to your work and to your assets and growing that. That's devotion. Students, what's the first app that you look at? Or maybe you check your texts. And see if there's anything, you know, like what your friends say. Maybe they stayed up later than you last night. And you can respond back to them. That's devotion. You're devoted to your friends. And all of these things by themselves, it's good. Those are good things. But I, I realize that, honestly, uh, this can tell us a lot about ourselves, can't it? If you, if whatever you do on this first in the morning is probably something that you're devoted to. What is it? To devoted devotions when it comes to Jesus is doing something, most people would say daily, that, that brings you, that, that puts your attention and focus on him. 
on, on who God is. Uh, and maybe a simple prayer of, of Lord, today's a new day. And what is your will for my life today? I pray that I might follow in your will. That I, that I, that I follow your will today. That I would worship you. That I bring glory and honor to you. Like there's, the, the, this is devotion. And honestly, it's such... Christian history, when it comes to this word devotions, we turn it into like a, turn it, that noun into a verb, like doing devotions. It's, it's, it's really rich history. And there's so many books written, you know, desiring God, the pursuit of, of God, the pursuit of holiness, uh, celebration of discipline, all of these different things. There's, there's uh, Throughout history, Christians have connected with God through devotion to him. That's what devotions is doing something every day to pursue him and to become more like him. And it's, it's, it's so rich, it's so beautiful. I have this friend named Terry Tucker. I've told you about her before. That she, she has a rich devotional life. And she, I was sitting with her one day, because sometimes I just go, I go to her house to do devotions with her. I'm like, Terry, I don't want to hang out. I want you to not do your devotions until I get there. And she's like, you're creeping me out right now, Josh. I'm like, I know, but you're better at this than I am. So I'm going to come. And, and so, so we go and and she's like, Josh, basically, it's, it's really, she gets really intimidated. She's like, it's so simple. I, I don't know what to teach you. I'm like, you don't have to teach me anything. Just do it. Just do whatever you do every day. And let me just be a part of it. And she's like, Josh, honestly, all I do is I just sit down in this chair. She's got like this, this, this little room in her house. She's like, I sit in this chair. And I say, God, I don't want to move until I experience your presence today this chair. And she's retired and she has the time and, the, and the, the space to do that and she's loving it. But I'm not going to move from this chair until, until I get a little bit of you today. That's devotions. Uh, I think it was Martin Luther that, that penned something to the effect of I have way too much to do on a daily basis not to pray for two or three hours every there's just too many important things going on to not be prepared for them through prayer. This is, this is like, like over the last 2,000 years, this is rich Christian history of devotions, of devotion. And, and, and what's great, especially you know, as English speakers in this modern world, all of it's at our fingertips. You don't know where to start? Just Google it and, and go. Like It'll take you cool places, devoted devotions. It could be books. It could be memorizing scripture. It could be um, fasting, confession, worship, study, service, meditation, solitude, silence. What, uh, what, what, are, what are these things for you? What, where might they take you? What's waiting for you on the other side? Devotions is just simply replacing some secular activity in your life with something sacred. That's it. Tomorrow, if you want to do this, if this is the one you want to do, tomorrow and the next day and the next day, wake up and, and substitute something secular for something sacred. And watch what God does. Because what, what happens when we do that and, and why this leads, why this leads to over the top, like, like, it, it, it starts with we, we can't like we can't do anything on our own. Uh, 
that's that's one of the verses that I have written down here is like Jesus talking about like like our job as little as little followers of Him are just to stay connected to Him. That apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine; you're the branches. Stay connected to me, and, and you'll be fruitful. Like if we want to do things that are over the top, we need to stay connected to Him. This is probably the main point for today. The best way to ensure that you don't have a boring life is to stay connected to the author of life. The best way to avoid a boring life is to stay connected to the author of life. It makes sense. He will lead us. He, he, will, he, will, he will transform our hearts into something greater than we are now. And that's our job, is devoted devotions. How about honest honesty? I put this one now, I just, I couldn't stay away from it, like being honest about where you're at, what you've done, who you are, all of these things, and, and honestly, the, the, where this starts, I thought about, like, it starts with God and then others, and like, no, actually, where, where, where honesty starts is with ourselves. I think, like, like honest honesty starts with being honest with ourselves. Self-deceit is like 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 it, I, I can make the argument that self-deceit is at the, is at the basis of every like crazy like when you hear about somebody saying how did they do that how did they get to that point like like they, they did what like you hear about it, you read about it and it's like how does somebody get to that point it all started with self-deception go back to that verse the thief comes but to steal and to kill and destroy like that's there, there's a, we have opposition we have somebody who's, who's trying to destroy our lives. And really, all they have to do is, is get us to deceive ourselves, and then we'll destroy the rest. We are fully capable of destroying our own lives. And he knows that. And so a lot, for a lot of us, honest honesty is where we need to start. There's stuff wreaking havoc in our lives, and we're saying to ourselves, I got this. It's not that bad. No one's getting hurt. And in reality, people are getting hurt. In reality, you don't got this. In reality, you're not okay. In reality, you can't stop. You say, yeah, I can stop at any time. It's like, no, actually, you can't. And what's needed is honest honesty. And it begins with honesty with yourself. Put that Plato thing up. The worst of all deception is self-deception. And then uh, A.W. Tozer takes it a step further. All forms of deception of deception, self-deception is most, of all the forms of deception, self-deception is most deadly. And of all of the deceived persons, the self-deceived are the least likely to discover the fraud. We all know those people. They're like, like every, if we all know those people who are just deep in their own deception. Like everybody else, all their loved ones around them know. They get like, what are you doing? You need to stop. And they're like, no, I got this. And they don't. How do we ensure that that doesn't happen to us? Honest honesty. Some of you, it's time. It's time to, to blow the whistle on yourself and come clean. Shoot straight. Confess. The verse for this one is confess your sins one to another out of James so that what you may be healed. 
some of us are longing and something's missing in our lives. Something's wrong and you're like, I can't figure out what it is. At the root of that is probably some self-deception. And it might be for a long, like it's been there for a long time. Like you started believing a lie decades ago and you just kept going and you almost forgot it. It's so many layers down. It's time to come clean. It's time to take a pill of, of bravery, a, a courageous pill, and, and, and go for it and come clean and be honest and see what, I, I can't help, as, as a person who stood on the, is, is on the other side of some of that, like I, I've been, I had to be honest and confess and it's like terrifying in the moment, but the life that comes, the life, the, the full life, the abundant life that comes from it is incredible. And that's, there's no way to it. And, and honestly, like, the reason I bring this up for the over-the-topness is because a lot of our, our, our over-the-top, for many of us, our over-the-top capability is hidden under layers and layers of secrecy. It is hidden under layers of, like, no one knows who we are. We're not known by people, and, and, and people who are not known by people, it's hard to do great things. Because we don't trust ourselves. And that needs to stop. We need to come clean. Honest honesty. Last one, generous generosity. This, we, for, for many of us, for, I, honestly, for all, we're sitting on a gold mine. Literally and, and metaphorically. Like literally, like, like in this day and age, in, like, with the wealth that we have just by nature of living in this country, our dollars in different parts of the world are so powerful. And I'm speaking to everybody here, like, like, I literally mean dollars. I'm not talking hundreds, thousands, millions. I'm talking about, we know organizations, we partner with organizations that do microfinance. And they literally hand out $10 loans to women that changes their life. That's like what they do. They go around the globe giving loans to women for, that are 10 sometimes $20. And it gives them the chance to start a business that changes their life. We could all shed 10 or $20 right now with no problem. And in our generosity is like, is we're sitting on a gold mine. We, we have so much that we could give and the, uh, with our money. And here's the thing, um, that's on one side. On the other side is this crazy dynamic that's going on where like, do you know this? The richer that you are, this, studies come out every year that affirm this. The richer you are, the less that you give across the board, Christians included, ouch. Like, this, faith doesn't really matter in this. It's just like, the richer someone is, the less percentage of what they have they give away. And we, but, but we all believe the opposite. You know, when I have more, that's when I'll give more. And the, the truth is, we just don't. There's something in human nature. Um, I heard it called the, the consumption assumption. The assumption that everything that comes to me is for my own assumption. And it's a trap. That, that everything that comes to me, I got that. It's, it's because I worked hard, and it's true. Maybe we worked hard for our money. It, it, that what we have is because of our own efforts, our own merits, we're smarter or whatever, and therefore, it's the assumption that I, it's for my consumption. And generous generosity stands in stark contrast of it because honestly, we've we all known those, those people who are extremely wealthy and extremely stingy, and, and it, it rubs us wrong. We, we don't, we wouldn't want to be like that. And so the, the 
antidote for that is generosity. I can make the argument that every single over-the-top person, every, every person that you admire that's just doing over-the-top stuff, at the heart of a lot of what they do, and we've talked about this, is generosity. Whether it be with their money, some of these people, it's not even, there's nothing to do with money. It has to do with their time, their energy, their resources. They just pour out to others. And it's inspiring, isn't it? That generous generosity is the, the road to that life that we're longing for, the, the, the life that, that, that God is calling us to. So maybe for you it's like volunteering more time. Like here's a, here's a big one. Go volunteer once a week at Echo. Dude, that, the, the phrase once a week is like swear words to people in, in Evergreen. I swear. It's like, it's like oh, once a week? Like that's going to tie me down. Yeah. But part of that is generous generosity ties you down sometimes. I'm committed to seeing this through. I'm committed to standing with these people. Commit to giving half. I love this one. Commit to giving half or 1% to global poverty every year and grow it every year by half or 1%. We, we had this idea a few years back, like what if we started a thing called like the 1% club? And in order to be a part of the club, you had to give, you know, like you maybe start with 1% and then the next year you give two, and then the next year you give three. And we give like badges, like we'd give like the, like medals out and like, hey, you're 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 three. And I thought maybe that's a little crass, but it's like, but that would give us, get us giving. That would, that would be steering us towards generosity. What would God do with that generosity? Travel, go see the world, go see people in need, go see people who have lots, that have a, a joyful life and, and um, enjoy that. Commit to, uh, um, uh, bring, to bringing in the full tide. Dude, you want to, like seriously, you want to do something that's over the top, you're like, you do what? Give 10% of what you make away. Which is like, you know, the standard in the Bible, but it's, it's foreign to us. Like, mo like, like most people, like, you do you, that much, 10%? Yeah, give 10% away. And here's the deal. If, don't, if, if I'm rubbing you wrong as a pastor talking about, like, giving 10%, don't give it to, to the church. Don't give it to, and just so you know, I work for free. I donate my salary back. So, like, it's, if you give here, it's not to me. But give to something. Just commit, commit to something saying, hey, we're going to give 10% and we're, we're going to see that through and see what God does through that. Skip your coffee. You know, that's $15 a day at least right now. I mean, kind of loud, you know, give, and give that away. Purposely give that to somebody. Bring a, a, a big gift to the Barefoot Mile that we have at the end of this month. We have a chance to, to uh, a fundraiser for kids in human trafficking, sex trafficking. Uh, at the end of August, and you can give to that. Let's, let's, we, we're going to get a chance to give to that at the end of the service. Like, give generously to that. And, and, and whatever it is, just grow in your generosity. And, and I promise you, I promise you, like, this is, it's, it's actually really simple. You want an over-the-top life? Be generous. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your money. Be generous with your, your energy and your efforts. And just see what happens. That's it. That's all I got. Which one is it for you? Which one will you go for? And it'll take something for from you. It'll, it, it will take... The, here's the thing. This just... It doesn't just happen on its own. Ever. It takes effort from us. It, it, takes, it takes faith. It 
takes stepping out, like, God, I'm not sure about this, but I feel like you're calling me. And some of you right now, you can feel it. You're like, there's something specific on your heart and mind. You're like, I'm supposed to do this. Maybe God's been working on your heart the last week or two or whatever. And it's like, I need to do this. I need to call them. I need to go there. I need to hop a plane. I need to cut a check. I need to speak the words that I've been meaning to speak for a long time. Whatever it is for you, what would it take for you to do it? And what over-the-top things might come from it? What stories might we have to tell in the weeks, months, and years to come? We, just even us as a community, did that. I want that for us. I want that for you. I want that for me. I pray that you would step into it today. Let's pray.